All right. Uh, sorry to uh, commandeer some of this uh, service time, but well, we'll make this quick. This is the final Sunday of October, the fifth Sunday, and uh, as is their tradition, we are going to present our, our honor and uh, love offering collected for our beloved pastors, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Conrad, and also your family, Gina and Heather. Um, so there's a little bit more than the, the, the classic greeting cards and um, baskets out front. It, you may have noticed, I think, there's a collection of things that hopefully you'll enjoy. Aaron's going to get diabetes for sure. Um, <laughs> but we know he loves that, and he enjoys that. And uh, <laughs> we hope you receive these expressions of love as, um, as they are uh, expressions of our gratitude. And we love you dearly. And we just have, let me pull up, cheat, cheat. Just a couple of things I feel like on behalf of the church, I can and, and thank you specifically for both you and Pastor Aaron. And, and that is, first of all, responding obediently to your calling uh, from the Lord. And we were talking, well, we talk a lot about the future. We were talking about your retirement. I think if you had not responded to the Lord, you'd maybe be at FedEx right now and um, maybe closer to retirement. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, But Aaron, if I'm not mistaken, you'd probably be an attorney right now. And so your lives would look very different had you not uh, been willing to bend the knee. And um, we, uh, we appreciate that. And we are benefactors of your obedience as well. The Lord's extended. And first and foremost, actually, we'd like to thank the Lord above all for appointing you as our leadership, both you and Pastor Aaron. But we appreciate that you have uh, forsaken the things of the world to respond to your calling. And um, you purposed in your heart, as it says in Daniel, um, to keep the decrees of the Lord. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for being faithful in your ministries and consistent. You are rocks. I never have to wonder who's preaching or who's leading worship. Uh, I know who's there, and uh, we thank you for that. And um, also, thank you dearly for not failing to bring us the full and whole counsel of God, um, for teaching expositionally, teaching the gospel, uh, both of you. I don't think... We go a week without hearing the gospel in its full context, which is a tremendous blessing because even as believers, we need the gospel. And so we thank you for that. And um, now we have fellowship with you in the gospel. And uh, we love you. Um, we love you, Gina and Heather and your families. Uh, thank you for being godly wives to our pastors and supporting and loving them. You are beloved and precious to us. And um, thank you, church. Well, I feel like Paul, in what we preached last week, in my, you know, and I'm just thankful to the Lord with every remembrance of you. Amen. And that's the way I feel. I'm thankful for the Lord. Um, I had a couple opportunities before I came to Florida to pastor, and it wasn't the right place. It wasn't the right time, and we, and we, and we didn't do those. We didn't follow through and, and pursue those. And... Uh, but when the Lord brought us here, and we were doing FCA, and then just out of nowhere, I get a call about coming down just to preach here. And uh, long story short, for the Lord to call us here, it, it was it was one of those situations where you it was like putting on an old pair of shoes for me. It was just comfortable. From day one, it it was a good fit. Uh, I believe I, it was for me. I don't know if it was for you, <laughs> but. I think y'all have expressed love towards us in an incredible way, and you do it again and again and again, and we're humbled. I, I, I'm not trying to speak for Aaron, but I think I'm speaking for Aaron in this. We are absolutely 
blown away and humbled by your generosity and your love that you express toward us. We, uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't deserve it. Uh, we're just grateful for everything you do. And uh, I'll tell you, today's one of those great days because when I get home this evening, uh, I'll sit down and I'll go through every card. And that's the, that's the joy, is going through those cards and reading the notes that are in those cards. Um, the gifts are great. They're wonderful, all that. But I'm going to tell you, the, the, the expression of your hearts is priceless. It really is. And we thank you for that. So thank you, church, for loving us. And um, thank you. I appreciate that very much, very much. How do I, how do I start now? Um, <laughs> How about this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna announce. I want to announce something. I forgot to announce a while ago. That would be a little transition for me. We're excited about something we're going to do different this year. We we do a Thanksgiving meal every year, uh, and we do it on the Wednesday before the Wednesday of the week before Thanksgiving. And so the the question in my mind has been for a few years: Why do we do that on Wednesday? Or how do we start doing this? And how do we do all that stuff? Well, my wife asked me last week, uh, earlier this week, it was Tuesday, I was home and I was studying, and she just looks over and she says, why, don't, why couldn't we do Thanksgiving meal on Sunday instead of Wednesday? I can't think of a reason we couldn't do it on Sunday. In fact, I can think of a whole lot of reasons we should do it on Sunday. So we're doing a little change this year, okay? We're, we're going to move somebody's cheese and, but what we're going to do is we're going to move the Thanksgiving meal from the Wednesday, a week before Thanksgiving, to the Sunday night, right before Thanksgiving. And uh, I think we're planned on 530, I think is, I don't know what time. Six, 530, five, I don't remember. We've got it somewhere written down. I don't, I don't that's why I write things down. Uh, so I don't have to remember. But we're going to do it that way. So listen, you can come to church Sunday morning. You go home, you prepare your dish, what you're going to bring back. We'll still do turkeys and hams like we do every year. But it's going to make, take the pressure off everybody trying to prepare something Wednesday and then rush to get here and then we'll rush to eat and then we'll rush to get out because you got to work the next day and all that. So we'll start a little earlier and we'll, uh, we'll have a great time of fellowship. It'll give us plenty of time for setup. We'll have plenty of time to clean up and all that afterwards. So make your notes. To, and Sunday the 19th, uh, we'll be here on Sunday the 19th that evening for that. And the Wednesday before, we're actually going to have a combined service uh, on that Wednesday night. We'll still have our normal meal. This will be a week before when we would normally done the Thanksgiving meal. We're going to do our give thanks service, and we're going to, everybody, we want the entire family in here. We want your kids. We're not going to do nursery. We're not going to do children's ministry. We're not going to do the, the nights, Wednesday nights. We're not doing teen. Everybody, family is going to be in here on that Wednesday night, and we're going to do our give thanks service. If it's 15 minutes or an hour and a half, we'll, we'll be in here. If you've got a kid and you go, my kid's ready to go, I need to get home, feel free. You, you're, not, you're not chained and shackled here, but we want to have all the family together for that. Amen? So those are two great things we have coming up this month that, or next month that are going to be really good. I'm excited about our holiday season. All right. We're in uh, part four. This is the fourth message of Philippians. So the, the series is titled Joy Unspeakable. And uh, so this is our fourth message. Today's message is titled this, Paul's Confident Purpose-Filled Prayer. That's what we're going to look at. So as we saw a couple of weeks ago, chapter 1 is about single 
the, about the single mind. We looked at the, the different minds. There's so much in joy that has to deal with the mind and our thinking and the way we think. And in chapter 1, Paul really lays out that it's about having the single mind. It's a mind that's focused on Christ. So chapter 1 is all about that, the single mind, a mind and a heart that's set on Christ. 1 Peter 1.8, we've read this several times now. Who having not seen, speaking of the Lord Jesus, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you've come to faith in him, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If we have a relationship with Christ, we ought to be filled with joy all the time anyway. But as we, as we are in right relationship with him, right fellowship with him, and when, we, when we have that walk with him, there should be joy unspeakable in our lives. John, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said this. He said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus is talking about his joy, the joy that he had, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Folks, the only way we can be full of joy and have joy, the only way we can have joy is if it's Christ's joy. And we have his joy and we have that by remaining in him, being, being in fellowship with him. And in this letter, Paul doesn't suggest that we be joyful. It's not a suggestion. This isn't, as we read this book and we read what Paul has to say, he's not going, you know, it might be okay. It might be a good idea if you were joyful. No, he commands it. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, not just when things are going well. Look, we get caught up in, in the, difference between, the difference between happiness. Happiness is so dependent on circumstances. You know, if things are going well, I can be happy. If things aren't going well, I'm not so happy. Joy is, is disconnected from circumstances. Joy is connected to Christ in our fellowship with Him, our relationship with Him. And so uh, Paul commands, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in your relationship with Him. So we come again to chapter 1. And I'm going to read through the first 11 verses just to refresh our hearts. We want to look at the Scriptures. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers, your partners, your, your fellowshippers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, as we've read your word, I pray now, Lord, as I pray, as I bring the, the message that you have put on my heart and prepared in me, God, I pray that you'll speak to me. May I be simply an instrument, a vessel in your hands. And Lord, I pray that this morning our folks would not see me and not hear me, but God, I pray they would see you and they would hear from you. And as we turn our hearts, we tune our ears in to hear from you. God, you want to do something in our hearts this morning. I know that. I'm convinced of that. 
And no one could convince me otherwise. You want to do something in every heart in this room. And I pray that we would just come right now humbly before your word and be prepared to receive from you whatever it is you want to tell us and whatever you want to say. And may we humbly respond, obediently respond to that leading. So work now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now last week we saw Paul was thankful for the Philippian Christians, for his relationship with them, and for their fellowship in the gospel. We spent a lot of time talking about that, the fellowship of the gospel. And it's deeper than just relationships. It's more than just sitting around having coffee together. We're on mission together. And when, we're, when we have that, that's, that's the relationship we have. That's the relationship we can have here. It, it can't be all about the, the fluff and stuff and the just peripheral things. It's about fellowshipping in the gospel, around the gospel, about the gospel. It's all about Jesus and, and doing what he would have us to do. And we can have that fellowship here. And when we have that, we can have that joy unspeakable. And we want to have that. We want to grow in that. I believe we have a good fellowship in our church. I don't think we have a great fellowship because our fellowship is not always fellowship in the gospel. It can be better. Amen? Amen. I'm not being critical of our church. I mean, we have a great church, but it can be better. Our fellowship can be deeper and richer, and and our relationships can bring joy to one another. And, And Paul was talking about with these Philippians who he saw on three trips, three trips over 10 years. And yet their love for each other was incredible. Think about the love we should have for one another when we're here serving together all the time. It ought to be incredible. So we're going to back up a little bit. We got down through about verse 8 last week. We're going to back up and pick up verse 6 and uh, because we really kind of went through there, but we're going to come back and pick that up right now. And so in this, we find this. The first thing that we're looking at is Paul's confidence in prayer. Paul has a very, he's got a great confidence in this prayer that he's praying and in this relationship he has with him. Verse 6 is being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the work of salvation was done. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And, and when they come into a relationship with him, salvation is done. They are born again. They are saved. Their eternity is secure. They're, they're, that is all done. But the work of sanctification has now begun. Now, salvation, man, when we come into relationship with Christ, salvation, then it will be completed, and that's we can get into that, the conversation. There's a completing of our salvation. But when we have that eternal security, we know when we've truly been born again that we are going to heaven. We're, we have that relationship. We've come into relationship with Christ. But at salvation, the work of sanctification begins. And that's the work of taking us from what we were to what we will be. And Paul says he's confident in this. He's confident that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going he's to work in us until the Lord comes back. And Paul was confident that the Lord would not stop working on them. He would not stop working in them. And he would not stop working through them until the day of Jesus Christ, the day of either the rapture or our resurrection. Look, if we're going to be with the Lord on that day, we're going to be resurrected back. We're going to, our, our, we're going to come up out of the ground and we'll be put back together with our spirit and we'll be together with the Lord. If we're alive when the Lord returns, and I believe his return is close, Maranatha, the Lord is going to return. It's, it's imminent. We look around today, we ought to be like, you, you need to be, but you need to be ready. Man, if you can look at what's going on in the world today and not think, ah, you know, I don't, I'd be all right. 
I'll get right with the Lord later. I wouldn't bet on that. Um, the Lord's going to keep working. Paul was confident in God that he who had begun the work in them, it was God who had begun this work. He was confident that he would complete that which he had started in them. It was an ongoing work, ever growing them, ever shaping them, ever modeling them. That's the work that he's doing in us today. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not who I used to be, praise God. I'm different, and the Lord is constantly working. The Lord always looks at His people as, as they will be when they are done. Now, isn't that, that's an interesting thought. And I, I, make me make a note on that in your notes. And if you want to sit down and meditate on something today, meditate on that. Meditate on, meditate on this thought that the Lord knows, He knows who you are. Not what you are right now. He knows what you are. He knows how you're going to be. He knows how when he's done with you, he knows exactly. That's the way he sees you. And uh, we, we, here's what we need to learn. We need to learn to see our brothers and sisters in Christ that same way. You know, none of us are complete, finished products. Amen? Anybody in here done? None of us are done. You know, we're, I'm, I'm still like batter in the bowl. I, he ain't even got me in the, in the form yet. And, and there's so much still to do. So I want you to think of it this way. When you think of a sculptor, sculptors would take, like, like the old sculptors, not ones that use clay, but a sculptor who takes stone. They take a piece of stone, and they see in that stone, they see the finished product before they ever start it. They don't just start chipping away and go, oh, I think it'll be this, or I think it'll be that. They see what it's going to be. A painter, painter goes in, and they've got a blank canvas. Before they start their painting, a real artist now, already sees in their head what's going to be there. You can come in halfway on that and see it, and they go, oh, this is my masterpiece. This is, my, this is going to be the greatest one ever. And you can look at it and go, ain't much to it. Uh, you know, not much of a masterpiece there. And that artist could say, but you don't see what it will be. I see, what's, I see what it's going to be. You see what it is. God sees us for what we're going to be. When, when Michelangelo carved David, probably the most famous statue there is, and he carved that, that, he took a single piece of, I guess it's marble, and what he did, he saw in his head what he was going to create. And what did he do? He chipped away, and he sanded away, and he filed away everything that wasn't David. He took away everything that wasn't David. He saw it in his head before he ever started. Listen, when the Lord looks at us, he sees how we're going to be. He knows how we're going to be. We got to learn to look at each other that way. And, and but we look at the warts and the scars and all the problems, and we, we see the, at the now. And we so often judge on the now the way we see folks instead of the way we're going to be. And the Lord's working in us, okay? Now, I want you to be patient with me, and we need to learn to be patient with each other. The process that he started in you, he will finish. He finishes what he starts. John Newton, the slave trader turned pastor, he wrote, he wrote the, uh, the, the hymn Amazing Grace. He once wrote this, Now I edited this a little bit, and I put it in the, in the CWV, the Conrad Westbrook version. And so he says, I, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I need to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen. Had a pastor tell me one time, I, I, t I told him, I said, you know, I just wish I had, I wish, you know, the Lord had been working my life. I said, I wish I had responded sooner. 
and I might have been here sooner. He said, listen, you can't worry about the past. You can't do anything about the past. You, you confess when you, make, when you sin and when you fail, you confess it, and, and you can't change that. But you, you, you can do everything about tomorrow. You thank God you're not still there, and you do what God wants you to do now going forward. Amen? That's the way we should be. So verse 6 is one of the main verses from Scripture concerning eternal security. And, and how, how is that, Pastor? How would I know that? Paul says because it's God's work from the very beginning. The work of salvation is God's work. Man wants to put that work on man. It's your work. You did that. You, you, you earned it or you, you, you responded this way and you got saved. No, salvation is all of God. It is His work. He did it from the start. It's all Him. And there's nothing. Listen, if it's my work, then it isn't salvation. If it's what I did, it's not salvation. And is it, if it is of works, I'd say this. If you can lose your salvation by your works, then the flip side of that is you could gain it by works. And the Scripture makes it very clear. Our salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, well, you know, you just don't know what I was, and then I saved myself. I did this, and I did that, and God saved me because of me. No, 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 it ain't nothing to do with you. It's all about what Jesus did. It's not of works. Salvation is all of God. Amen. And we have to respond. We absolutely have to respond. But, but you don't get saved because of being a good person or good works or anything you do. It's, it is, you are saved by God's grace. You are saved by God's grace through your faith, through confessing and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that work that God does, He will continue until we see Christ. And then that work will be fulfilled. 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We'll be like Him. Now, when we're like Him, there won't be anything else for Him to do. It'll be done. It'll be complete. We'll be perfect at that point, and we'll be like Him. And the Scriptures make it very clear. We're going to be there one day, folks. We're going to be like Him. I want the Lord to do that work in my life now. I want to, I want to be as close to Him. I, I want to be, you know, I don't want there to be a huge change. Amen? When the Lord comes back and raptures me, I don't want there to be a, him have to make a huge change in me. I'd love to be as close as I possibly can be now. Amen? That, that means that we need to respond to what God's doing in our lives. To, to, when, he, when He speaks to you, respond. When He says, do this, do it. When He says, fix that, fix it. When He says, stop that, stop it. Do those things so we can be closer to Him. It was a great source of joy to Paul to know that God was still working in the lives of his fellow believers at Philippi. It's a joy for me as a pastor when I talk to people. Here, man, you want to talk about joy? Here's joy. When I have a conversation with someone and they say, they say, Pastor, I needed that message. I needed that. The Lord used that in my life. I, I'd struggled with that. Now I have victory. I was, you know, I was, I was, I knew this, I made this change in my life. I've gotten more committed to the word. I've gotten more committed to prayer. Pastor, where can I serve? Lord, the Lord's just been working on my heart and showing me. And, and when I see growth in individual lives, I see God working in your life. And you know what brings grief? When somebody that was on fire for the Lord at one time goes, eh, you know what, I, I think I'll just be okay sitting here. Or worse, they leave church. There's no joy in that. That ought to break our hearts when we see people pull away from the Lord. The joy is watching as you grow. And here's what I know. The Lord's going to continue to work on you and work in you and work through you until He comes back. Amen? That's joy. Are you growing this morning? Are you growing in your walk with Christ? 
If you're not, I encourage you. Today's a great day. When was the best time to, you know, it's like a diet. When was the best time to start exercising and dieting? You know when the best time is? It was 10 years ago. You know what the second best time is? Today. So yeah, if, if, if you didn't take care of it five years ago, 10 years ago, take care of it today. Whatever it is the Lord wants to do, respond today. Now, I, I shared this on a Wednesday night, but there was a story I read, and it, it works with this, is, you know, are you growing? And, and so there's, there seems to be friction in our home, a concerned wife said to a marriage counselor. I really don't know what the trouble is. And, and the counselor said friction is caused by one of two things. And to illustrate, he picked up two blocks of wood from his desk. He takes these two blocks and he says, if one block is moving and the other block is not, so one block is standing still and the other is moving, he said that creates friction. He said the other thing that happens is if one block is moving one way and the other block is moving another way, that creates friction. And he says to her, he says, now which is it? She says, I have to admit that I've been going backward in my Christian life and Joe has really been growing and... Uh, she said, what I need is to get back to fellowship with the Lord. Is there friction in your marriage? Is there friction with someone in the church? Is it, is it you? Maybe it is you. And if it is you, you need to get back right in fellowship, in right fellowship with the Lord this morning. Because if there's friction in our life, there's a reason it's there. When we're all moving in the right direction, the same direction, we don't have that kind of friction. Number two, now we see this as we look at number two. We see Paul's purpose-filled prayer. He has a purpose-filled prayer. Paul said that he prayed, and, and he said that he thanked God for them every time that he thought of them. When the Philippians came to mind, he, he thanked God. I can just see it. He might be working. And, and, and you know, you, you've had those times where, and, and, and Lydia comes to mind, and boy, he just reflects on that day by the river when Lydia gave her heart to Christ. Oh, man, what a day. He, just, he says, Lord, thank you for Lydia. Oh, and Lord, thank you for that, that girl that we cast the demon out of. And, and, you know, I like to believe that she got saved. And he's thanking God for her salvation. And thank you for that jailer, Joe, or whatever his name was. You know, Paul knew his name. We don't even know his name. Paul knew his name. He called him by name, and he prayed for him by name. And he thanked, he thanked the Lord for, for, for Joe and his family and his first children that have trusted Christ, and they were baptized. And when he remembers them, he thanked God for them. And he says that he made requests for them with joy. It was, his heart was overjoyed as he thought about them, and he's making these requests for them. Now, Paul tells us what it was that he prayed. He tells us earlier that he prayed for them. Now we find here in verse 9 what he prayed. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. First thing he, he, he prays, he, he prayed for their love to abound even more. He had already said that their love abounded. He said that your love may abound still more. So he, he, by, by the way he said that, he's, he's saying their love abounds. Now, preacher, what does that word mean? What does it mean to abound? Well, that word means to, it really means to superabound in quality or quantity, to be in excess. To abound means to be in excess. It's, it's the word, I always have, I have trouble saying this word, su superfluous, right? Is that the word, superfluous? And what it means is it means more than is enough. Our love as believers ought to be superfluous. It ought to be more than is enough. You know what we do in life? We go through life, well, that's enough. That's, that's, that's good enough. 
that's good enough. Well, it's the least that I could do. I have a friend that used to tell me, yeah, and that's what we want to do, right? The very least that we could do. That shouldn't be our love. Our love should be superfluous. It should be abounding even more and more. And Paul's talking about all the things that they had done for him, all the things they had done for others. And he says, I pray that your love doesn't just abound, but it abounds more and more. It continues to grow. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If we don't love, then you don't know God. If you're a hate-filled Christian then you got a, you got a problem. And your problem may be that you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've not experienced His love. You've not been forgiven much so that you can forgive much. You haven't been loved mightily so that you can love mightily. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Through Him we can live. We can have life. We can have eternal life. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. we got to love each other, folks. This is the prayer He prayed for them, but this was a prayer He prayed for us. It's a prayer He has for us today. Is that we as believers, our love would abound. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and, and, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, worst thing I can imagine is Christians that, or, or uh, let me say, oh, I'm sorry, Maybe it should be this way, professing Christians who go out into the world, talking to the lost world, and they run their brothers and sisters down. Those that we're here and we're in fellowship together, and they go out into the lost world with people who don't know Jesus, and they complain, they gripe, and they tear down, and they rip apart other brothers and sisters in Christ. What a horrible testimony that is. That's not showing love. And, he, and, and the scripture said, by this we'll all know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And they're going, you Christians are supposed to love. That's not love. I can do that and I don't even go to church. You know, some, some, we, we've got to love. We need to love. We need to grow in that love one for another. Now, Gina, you want to come up and help sing that song now? This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy... She started singing this. I let her read the, the message yesterday. She started singing this, so I told her, I said, you've got to come up and help lead this song. <laughs> She'll never tell me another song again. <laughs> You're not going to come up and sing? You sure? you got this great opportunity to show off that voice. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay for that later. Uh, B... B, Paul, Paul prayed for their love to abound even more, but he prayed that their knowledge and discernment would grow. They would grow in knowledge and discernment. Again, verse 9 and verse 10. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, and that you may, uh, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Now, folks, Christian love is not blind. It's not blind. The heart and mind work together so that we have... Listen, we've got to have discerning love and loving discernment. Paul doesn't say just, you know, we just... It's just not blind love. It's just not blind faith. It's not those kind of things. We are, as believers, we should have a very discerning love. 
And we should have very loving discernment. Paul wanted his friends to grow in discernment in being able to approve the things that are excellent. Well, what does that mean, preacher? What does that mean, approve the things that are excellent? You could say it this way, to distinguish uh, the things that, that differ. It's a, it's a discerning, a, a, a distinguishing by, among things that are different. And the, here's the idea. It, it, it's the idea of distinguishing between things that are good and things that are bad. Being able to distinguish them. Not just distinguish what's good and bad, but discerning between good and bad. What is good, what is bad. But I would take it even, even further in our lives. There are a lot of times that we, we need discernment, Amen. We need discernment, and I go, sometimes I see Christians that make decisions, I go, man, that's poor discernment that they would, they would be involved with that or do that because that's not good. They're, 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 they're walking over here real close to the edge. Let me get as close as I can to the world, and that's not very wise when we do that. It's not wise at all. We should be discerning between what is good and what is bad. But, you know, sometimes for us as believers, we need to be able to discern what, between what is good and what's better. Amen? We need to be able to discern between what's better and what's best. Yeah, this is good, but, you know, this, is, this would be better. And, and, but, man, this over here, if we, really, if, we, if we really want to follow the Lord the way we ought to, this is best, taking these proper steps right here. This is what's best. And if we do that, then, then if we, we, we have wisdom from God and we're able to discern between these things, it's what we do. Then you can approve the things that are excellent as we test them. As we pray about them, as we use the Word of God to filter what we look at and how we look at things and how we make the decisions about things. And when we do that, then we can make very, very uh, wisdom-filled, God-filled discernment of, of, of situations and things. And we can make the right those right decisions. That's what Paul wanted us to have. He wanted us to have knowledge, to grow in knowledge. He wanted us to grow in discernment. You can't grow in discernment if you don't grow in knowledge. So we got to grow in knowledge. C, Paul prayed that they would be without, without, listen, this, 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 this is my favorite point today. They would be without wax. You know, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? They would be without wax. Verse 10, he says that you may be sincere. Now, the word sincere means, it literally means this. It means sun-tested or literally without wax. And so the idea is this. In, in, in those days, they had, some, they had the sculptures. They had the, 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 uh, the, the marble, white marble sculptures. And sometimes those things weren't perfect. There were impurities maybe in the stone or something. And if someone wasn't if they weren't, uh, they didn't have great character. Uh, they didn't have integrity. Someone who's selling those sculptures, they would, they would use this pearl white wax. And they would fill the cracks and the imperfections of those sculptures with wax. So to the naked eye, it looks like, man, that thing's perfect. It's great. They also had a very fine porcelain in those days. And that porcelain w- was very fragile and it could easily crack. But the cracks were just, I mean, they were tiny. So you really, again, in the stores or the places they might be, they would be hard to see them with the naked eye. And what they would do is with those cracks, they would fill those cracks in with, with uh, that pearly white wax. Now, the only way to discern that was to you take them out in the sunlight. If you hold that porcelain up to the sunlight, guess what you could see? You could see where they'd filled in the cracks with the wax. It left this 
this seam in there that you could spot then. They could see that it had been doctored. If you took a sculpture out and you exposed it to heat, what happens to wax in the heat? It melts. So as the wax would melt away, they would see the flaws and the imperfection. And what they realized was they were able to then to see what, how, how a crooked dealer was trying to crook, uh, you know, steal from them and, and cheat them. And what Paul is saying is, you know, you need to be like the guys who had integrity who put out their, their pieces of work and their porcelain or their sculptures and they put a tag on them that said, Sine Seri, without wax. That's what Paul wanted us to be. That was his prayer. He wanted these Philippian Christians, and I would say this is the way he wants us today, is that he would want them real and authentic, not put-ons, not fake, not covering up flaws and failures and hypocrisies. Uh, Paul would have them tested by the bright light of God's truth and holiness. And that's what he wants for us. That's how we ought to be. I had a pastor years ago, my, when I first went into ministry, my first pastor, he used to sign letters. He signed them that way. Well, he didn't sign it without wax, but he signed no wax. He'd sign no wax, Brother A. That's how he signed it. No put on, no cover up, no, no fake. I love that. I love that. Folks, that's, that's how we need to be. That was Paul's prayer for them. Man, what a great prayer. Be sincere. Be real. No wax. Miss Rita, now you can, sign, you can sign your letters Maranatha, or you can sign them no wax. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Uh, D, D, Paul prayed they would be without offense. Not only without wax, but without offense. Verse 10 again. And without offense till the day of, of Jesus Christ. Paul prayed for them to have mature uh, Christian love and character without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. This means that our lives do not uh, cause others to stumble and that we are ready for the judgment seat of Christ when he returns. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not a believer, you're going to appear before the great white throne of judgment. Now, I want to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I want my works to be judged, not to be judged and sent to hell, which is what, the, what happens at the great white throne of judgment. Um, so we as believers, the Lord is going to rapture us out, and then we'll go and we'll, we'll, be, we'll stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I mentioned that earlier today. I don't, I don't want to be ashamed when the Lord comes back. How, how, are, how are we living our life? Are we living our lives, like if the Lord came back right now, is there anything in my life I'd be ashamed of? Is there anything that, I, you know, you go, if, it's this thing. You ever had that instant regret? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I don't even have to give an illustration. Just instant, there's instant regret. You're going down the interstate, I knew I should have slowed down. You see, as soon as you see the lights go on, as soon as the lights go on, there's instant regret. I, Man, I knew, I knew I should have slowed down. Instant regret. Look, when that, when that trumpet blows and we're raptured up, 
I, I imagine that we're going we're to be filled with instant regret. And we don't want that. You want to be living as close to the Lord as you can. You don't want to have those things in your life. And if you don't want those things in your life, then, then you've got to get them out of your life now. So we've got to be ready for the Lord's return. But also, he says, not causing anyone to stumble. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Paul says, don't be a, don't be a, don't create, a, but don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody, but don't be a stumbling block. You know, sometimes the way we live our lives, the way we act, we can create barriers to other people coming to faith. It's just like I said, you, you go to work and you're griping about your Christian brother or sister. You're griping about church. You complain to a non-believer about, about something that's going on in the family. And they go, I don't want no part of that. But it could be a habit in your life that they see. could be your language. could be what you watch. It could be what you read. It could be the jokes you tell. It could be what you drink or even what you eat or where you go. And they see those things. We don't want to be a stumbling block for anyone out there. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But, we, but, we, but beware lest any, uh, somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Folks, we, we abuse our liberties. Because I have liberty. And we just bulldog over other people and don't care about them or where they're at with the Lord or, where, or, or what they need instead of what I want. Now, here's two good tests for us to follow as we exercise spiritual discernment. Number one, will it, now it being whatever I am doing or, or how I am living, will it make others stumble? Could it make them stumble? Can it be a hindrance to them coming to faith in Christ or in their walk with Christ? Number two, Will it make me ashamed if Jesus should return? Those are the things we ought to think about with everything we do in life. Would, it be, would I be ashamed of this when the Lord came back? He comes back and catches me in this. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I going to be ashamed of this? Those are things we need to consider. And is what I'm doing going to hinder someone else? So how can we fulfill this? You know, this, this can only happen when we read and study and memorize and meditate on and pray and quote the Word of God. The only way for us to grow is in a place to where we're not, we're, not, um, uh, we're not going to be embarrassed when the Lord comes back is when we're close to the Lord. And the way we get really close to the Lord is we get into His Word. We get into His Word, and in His Word He says, don't do that. Conrad, stop doing that. You need to change that. That attitude you have, you need to fix that. You've got this bitterness over here. You need to forgive that. You need to let that go. You need to work on that. You need to fix these things. He speaks to us. He changes us through His Word. He transforms us through His Word. Amen. So we need to study His Word. We need to read it, memorize it, meditate on it, think about it, quote it, pray it, sing it, read it, whatever. Whatever. We need to be in His Word and let it change us. We can't know God without knowing His Word, and we can't have discernment and wisdom without knowing His Word. You remember the... It's interesting. A brother gave me a bracelet this morning. Y'all know these little latex bracelets, right? He said, you know, I can give these to people in tracks. They won't always read a track, but they'll read this, and it says, Jesus loves you. I think it's really cool. So he gave it to me, and I didn't even thought about it until just right now. But you remember the what would Jesus do bracelets? Everybody had a what would Jesus do bracelet. 
Well, what's WWJD? It's what would Jesus do? Oh, oh, I see my bracelet. What would Jesus do? Okay, so I should respond this way. This is what I should do now. Because I got this bracelet on and it says WWJD. So I really think about what Jesus would do. Here's the problem with that. Most people wearing those bracelets, I ain't going to say most. Many of the people wearing those bracelets didn't have a clue in the world what Jesus did, much less what he would do. So wearing a bracelet ain't going to keep me from, from doing what Jesus wouldn't have done or not doing what Jesus would do. Okay, it ain't the bracelet that does that. It's knowing. It's knowing. It's having the knowledge here of what Jesus did do and what Jesus said to do and what Jesus would do. We can know what Jesus would do when we understand Jesus and we know Jesus by studying Jesus. Amen? So... If you're going to WWJD, you got to know the WDJD. What did Jesus do? You got to you got to know that, right? So we do that by the word of God. E. He prayed for their spiritual maturity. So he's praying for these other things. Now he's praying for spiritual maturity, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, there's fruits here that he's mentioning. It's not just fruit, and, and we'll get to that in a second, but it, it's fruits. It means there's more than one thing here. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the fruit in our life, this fruit that he's talking about, these fruits, these different avenues of fruits of righteousness. As we get closer to God, there's going to be fruit. If we're in, a, in, in, in right relationship with him, there's going to be fruit. Paul wasn't simply interested in church activities, but in the kind of spiritual fruit that is produced when we are in fellowship with Christ. When we're in right fellowship with God, there is going to be fruit in our life. So what are the fruits in our life that he's talking about? Well, first of all, John says this, John 15, 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. He's talking about fellowship. He's talking about being in a real relationship. He's talking about fellowship. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch, listen, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So the main vine comes out of the ground. It's got the, the, the picture that the Lord's given is this vine comes up out of the ground. That's where the nutrients are coming from, up out of the ground through the vine. And then we're the branch. We're off of the vine. He's the vine. We have to be in the vine. If we're not in the vine, we're not of the vine, right? We're, you, you have to be born again first, and then you're in the vine. But you have to abide in him. He says, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he's saying, you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. Too many Christians try to produce results in their own efforts uh, instead of abiding in Christ and allowing his life to produce the fruit. Now, the fruit tree doesn't make noise. You know, a fruit tree that's making fruit, it doesn't make noise. It doesn't draw attention to itself. It doesn't strain to push the fruit out. It's not its effort. It produces by simply allowing the life within to work in a natural way, and fruit is the result. 15.5, the next verse. Jesus continues. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So Paul's prayer, uh, and Jesus goes on and says, For without me you can do nothing. So we can't bear fruit without him. We're not going to bear any fruit. Anything we think is fruit, if it's without him, it ain't fruit. It ain't fruit, and it's not bringing glory to God or any of those things. And here's the difference between spiritual fruit and human religious efforts. 
is that the fruit brings glory to Jesus Christ. Fruit that is it's the fruit of righteousness, it brings glory to Jesus Christ. Whenever we do anything in our own strength or wisdom or ability, we have a tendency to boast about it or to think that, boy, I really did something this time. I was, Raymond, I was great. I did then. It was just great. The fruit that I produced, you know, that's what we tend to do. That's our flesh. We, we think it's about us. But true spiritual fruit is so beautiful and wonderful that no human can claim credit for it. The glory must go to God Almighty and God Almighty alone. So what is fruit that God wants? Or what are these fruits that He wants to see in our lives? Well, obviously, we'd go first. You'd know, you'd, you'd immediately your minds probably went to this, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, again, that says fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. Okay, So we got this idea sometimes that fruit, fruits, we think fruits of the Spirit. So I'll get, a, I'll get joy, and then later on I'll get some love, and then later on maybe some peace will grow. No, that's not what the Lord says. Scriptures say, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is a, as we grow, as we abide in Him, and as we grow, as we produce fruit of the Spirit, you know what it is? It's all of this at once. It's not one or one of these, well, I just don't have that fruit yet. No, then you're fruity, okay? That's your problem. You, you, because we get it all at once. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. So love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these, as we grow, as we're in close relationship with the Lord, and this fruit of the Spirit is growing in our life, all of that should be evidence in our life. And I love what, what he says here. Paul says, against such there is no law. There's no law against any of those things. You can have love and joy and peace and long-suffering kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can have all of these things, and there's nothing against that. There's no law that says you can't have those. You need those in your life. Let that fruit grow. There's the fruit of winning souls to Christ. Romans 1.13, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I, am, uh, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. What was Paul talking about? He was talking about winning souls. He wanted to go and win people there. Man, you know, Randy, Randy Dixon now, I know I've got him, he and I, we've been doing this thing, and he, he's all in. Go to a restaurant, asking the waitress, can I pray with you? Get into a spiritual conversation if the Lord allows that. Folks, you start building a, you start building a relationship with your, your waitress or waiter. You start asking some questions. If the door's open, it, it's open. And they're a captive audience, kind of. You can have them there and, and talk to them, and, and, and you can be a witness to them. But Randy, he's probably sitting there thinking right now, I want to have fruit there, I want to have fruit there, and I want to have fruit over there, and I want to have fruit over there. I want to, I want to, I want to sow that. I want to see that in, every, in other people's lives. It's making that, that difference in winning souls to Christ. Paul wanted to win people everywhere he went. He wanted to have, he wanted to have that fruit of winning souls. There's also fruit of, of holiness, Romans 6.22. But now having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of God. You have your fruit to holiness and, and the end, everlasting life. We ought to, there ought to be the fruit of holiness in our lives. As we get closer to God, there ought to be holiness in us. You know, sometimes, sometimes you get around certain people. And I'm trying to be funny. All right, so I'm not trying to be funny right here. But you ever get around some people and they smell? Okay. Sometimes some people may smell. 
And, and you think, what have they been doing? What have they been around? Whatever. Sometimes you get around people, but there's a smell, and it's not really a smell. It's a, it's, it's, it, if there are certain stores, I can remember uh, stores we used to go in as a kid when I was a teenager, or maybe we went, uh, there were stores in the mall and they sold hobbies. And they always burned incense, not incense, but they had potpourri in there. Potpourri. Y'all know you walk in those stores and they smell like a craft store and it smells like potpourri. And my sinuses instantly, you know, I can't breathe. But here's what happens you go in that store, you come out, what do you smell like? You're going to smell like potpourri. There's certain restaurants in our vast selection in our, in our beautiful city here that if you go in there, you're going to come out and everybody's going to know where you've been. They're going to know, ah, the GG. Hmm. You've been in the presence of, of Greece. You're going to have that smell. You know what we ought to have? We ought to have that fruit of holiness. And when we're in the presence of God, sometimes you get around people, man, you can just tell they've been with Jesus. Because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fragrance. It, I may not smell it, but I, you, you, Thomas, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you sense it. You, you just feel it. There's a presence. We ought to, man, that we would have that in our life because we spend time with the Lord, this, this fruit of holiness. And we're walking with the Lord and we're so holy that we have this fruit of holiness in our life. Then there's the fruit of service. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Lord, as we get closer to the Lord, as we draw closer to Him, we want to serve Him. We want to serve Him more. And so the closer we get, the more knowledge we'll get, the more surrendered we get. Man, our service can become more and more fruitful in, in the things that, that, that we're doing for the Lord, the fruit of service. And then there's the fruit of praise to God. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That ought to be fruit that's coming off our lips all the time. Fruit of praising God. Giving him glory. Giving him praise. Wednesday nights, I wear y'all out sometimes because I talk about it, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Um, we ought to be quick to want to praise God and share what He's done in our life, what He's doing in our life, whether it's salvation, whether it's some way He brought me through this, He gave me victory over that, He gave me strength for this, He gave me courage here, he, whatever it is, it, we, ought to, we ought to be praising Him. We ought to thank Him for where we're at. You know, right now, I'm not where I used to be. I ain't where I want to be. I ain't where I'm going to be, but I ain't where I was. We ought to have this fruit of praise to God on our, on our lips often. Uh, Pastor Aaron, you and Jim, make your way forward. We're wrapping up here. Paul's joy, and we're going to continue to see, it was in Christ. If it weren't for Christ, he wouldn't have had joy in any area of his life. He had joy. His joy was in Christ. He was joyous in his fellowship of the gospel with the Philippian believers. And this is, this is what we, as we, we've looked at this part. This is true Christian fellowship. For Paul and the Philippians, it was having in common. It was this, this in common, uh, everything that they had in common, that is much deeper than mere friendship. They had this true Christian fellowship. Paul is telling them, as we've looked at for the last two weeks, 
He said, I have you in my mind. I remember you. I think of you. I praise God. I thank him every time I think of you. They were in his mind. But he says, I had you in my heart as well. Man, God knows how much I love you, how much I want to be with you, how much I want to be there in fellowship with you. I have you in my heart. And, and as we've seen this week, he said, I have you in my prayers. Paul was faithfully praying for these Philippian believers. As I believe, he prayed for all the churches. As he prayed for all the people. I imagine his list of those he called by name, uh, of those that he had personally led to the Lord, of those that were in churches and all the places he had been. He loved them in the same way, but it was special with these folks. This is the kind of fellowship that produces joy. This fellowship that he's talking about with these Philippians produces great joy. And it is the single mind, that single mind set on Christ that produces this kind of fellowship. We can't have that kind of fellowship with one another if we don't have that kind of fellowship first with him. So we have to be single-minded. So as we finish this first these first 11 verses, that's, as we see this, this single mind, that single mind creates this, this incredible fellowship in the gospel. And when we, we've got our minds and our hearts set on the Lord, Paul, he prayed that their love would abound, that it would continue, it would abound more and more. He was saying, man, your love's great. He wanted it to grow. He's praying that for them. He's praying that for you. He prayed that, that uh, they would grow in knowledge and discernment. He prayed that they would be without wax. He prayed they would be without offense. And he prayed that they would be growing in spiritual maturity and in the fruit of righteousness. These are the things that Paul prayed. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote those things. He wrote them to them. He wrote them to us. I guess my question this morning is, are you there? Are you striving to be there? Do you love? Is your love growing? Are you growing in knowledge? Knowledge of His Word so that you can be growing in discernment? Being able to prove those things that are excellent? Are you without wax this morning? There's no put on. Just through being a fake. There was a song years ago by Scott Kerpane. And uh, he said the song was no more pretending. And basically in the song he talks about there was, there was rooms in his heart that he, that he hadn't cleaned out, that he hadn't given to the Lord. And, and, it, and I think in the lyrics he kind of talks about going and opening those rooms out and cleaning them out, cleaning his heart out. And he said no more pretending. No, no more pretending. No more putting on a show. I'm not coming in with a mask with a big smile on when that's not what's really going on here. We ought to be growing in that way. We're, we're no wax. We shouldn't be put on with each other. Without offense. I don't want to live my life in a way that offends someone else. Might create a stumbling block for somebody else. Might prohibit them from being where God wants them to be. Are you there? Are you growing in spiritual maturity? Is the fruit of righteousness blossoming in your life? All of these things this morning. Those were Paul's prayer. Expressed from the heart of God for you this morning. And so as we go into our, our time of reflection, response, invitation, whatever you want to call this, it's a great opportunity, as I share every week, this altar is open. And this morning, maybe, maybe there's an area in there where you go, you know what, I, I need to come talk to the Lord about that. I need, I, there's something i got to work on. And I want to get down. You can pray right where you're at. 
But I, I'm, I'm just, I've said this many times. I believe there's something about responding to what God's doing in the service and coming to an altar and getting on our face before Him and acknowledging what He's doing in our hearts. So this morning, if the Lord's working in your heart, I pray that you'll respond to that. Whatever it is He's doing, whatever He's saying, that this morning you'll respond to that. You won't leave here the same way you came in. I'm, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no John MacArthur. But you've heard the word of God this morning. Amen. And it's not what I had to say. It's what God has to say to you through his word this morning. I pray that you'll respond to that. Father, this morning, I pray that you'll just take what we've heard. You'll stir our hearts. I know already, Lord, you've, you've spoken to hearts. You've already, if there's areas in our life that need to be Addressed, if there's something, Lord, that we need to just come and praise you about, even if it's, if it's that, then, Lord, I know you've already put that on our heart. You, you, our hearts may be even racing right now as we're, as we're thinking about responding to what you're doing. God, I pray that we will humbly and obediently respond to what you want to do in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll just move in this time of invitation that, uh, Lord, our hearts would just be, and our minds would be focused on you. We'd have a single mind right now. Our minds focused on Christ and what you're going to do in our lives. And, Lord, if there's even one that's here this morning, for someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, right now they're going, I don't understand it all, but, but I want. I want what they have. I want what Paul was talking about. I want what the Philippians had. I want that joy. I want forgiveness of my sin. I want a relationship with God. I want peace with God. I want the peace of God that comes from Him. Uh, Lord, if that's anyone in this, uh, in this room this morning, God, I pray that you would burden their hearts. I pray they would step out and come talk with me. Lord, I just ask that you to have your will and way in this service now. We'll give you glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. If you'll stand with us.